millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, hello. Is this Danelli Bellelli? I'm hoping you could help me out with a podcast I'm working on. Let's do this. For sure. Well, I'd like to introduce... Uh, my podcast listeners to Danelli Bellelli, one of my favorite podcasters. In fact, a lot of my podcasters' name, favorite podcasters' name are Dan, Danelli nice, Bellelli, nice. I like Dan Carlin, and then, that, of course, my co-host, Dan Horning. That keeps things simple, right? You don't that keeps it simple for break. me. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, yeah, so he's going to help me out with this. A little background on our guest today is, well, he's like I said, he's one of my favorite podcasters. And a very good one at that. He's a university, uh, he's a writer, a university lecturer, martial artist, and podcaster based in Southern California. And his podcast, if you guys don't already know, you've been living under a rock. But actually, a lot of our podcast listeners are in Sweden. So it's possible that some of them aren't familiar with History on Fire. But if you don't know about History on Fire, you're in luck because now you have a lot of episodes to listen to. Yeah, there's that would a, be great, right? Uh, there's a big archive, some hundred yeah. plus episodes of material. And uh, yeah, I started in 2015. So there's a lot of stuff going on since uh, almost, yeah, we're heading toward a decade soon. Amazing. I mean, that to me, that would be like the best Christmas present in the world. Like, oh my God, I just found this amazing podcast and you could listen to all the backstory. So, I mean, it is really good. A couple of my favorites of yours are uh, um, the one on Cortez and then the conquest of Mexico. Yep. Yep. And then there was the 10,000, the March of the 10,000 in Greece. Yep. That's another yep. favorite yep. of mine. And so um, he is also the author of several books on philosophy and martial arts, including On the Warrior's Path. And you wrote that when you're pretty young, right? Yeah, I wrote that when I started. The first version was uh, when I was um, when I was 22. I wrote that originally. And then I I did a version in English a little bit later. I think I was 27 or something. Um, yeah, something like that. I think it took That's me a great. few years for my English to develop to the point where I could actually <laughs> translate it in a way that made sense. Translate and, your own uh, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how it worked. 
Yeah, because the original was uh, the original was in Italian. It was published, um, yeah, when I was twenty two, and then the, the English version when I was twenty seven. That's amazing. Well, I wasn't doing either of those things when I was twenty two or twenty seven. <laughs> I did start a business when I was twenty six, so I guess I could give myself a little bit of credit. That counts. He's also a huge fan of um, the Princess Bride, which is I'm also a huge fan of. So yes, I realized that half of what I say on a regular basis is. Uh, <laughs> Is me quoting the Princess Bride? <laughs> I, I don't know if I, you know, what, one of these days I'll buy you for a, Christ, a present. I have myself a shirt that has the whole, all the Princess Bride on it, and it's in the shape of um, Nigga Montoya's face, like fantastic. Like it's yeah, it's like a reverse or something. It has all the lines on it. It's amazing. So yeah, and you're um, you also you also have a um, degree in anthropology. You have um, you have masters, or you have you have um, graduate degrees, right? In Indian yeah. studies and in history, right? So we yeah. got a genius yeah. on our hands here. <laughs> I don't know about that, but let's... <laughs> Pretty good anyway. So yeah, anyway, I asked him to help me with this. And I've, I've been a big fan and you've actually, we've worked together on a couple of podcasts before. I've helped. Um, so um, I think we worked well together. And so I asked him to I figure I'd give you a call and see if you could help me with some of these questions I had about this, what's new in history that we're doing. And... um we like to say the future is a mystery, but what's new in history? Let's and what's yeah? So what's new? I'm doing a sto- article on this. Um, the, well, the name of the article is "Hundreds of Mayan Cities and Towns with Ball Courts and Roads Discovered in LIDAR Study in Guatemala," and that was from the Good News Network. It's an online publication, apparently, and the uh, author reporter's name is Andy Corbley. So we'll give him credit for that. Yeah, so if I could just go over the article a little bit and then we could get into it, that would be cool. Perfect. So the last episode I did on this, I droned on and on, droned, huh? LIDAR's on drones. But I droned on and on about how the what LIDAR is. And so anyone who listened to that episode, and if you haven't, check it out. You'll know, understand what LIDAR. But basically, it's light that it could kind of see through the leaves or the trees. It doesn't see under the ground. It sees through. So it sees all map surface features. So they've done this huge study in, it's in the Yucatan and and Guatemala. Some of it's in Mexico. It's like where the, it's it's in Central America where it sort of sticks up, sort of curves up. And then before it goes, then it goes down into South America. That's the only thing about a podcast, right? You can't always see the. The funny thing about that is that I was just there. So I'm fresh from uh, having been uh, with boots on the ground right in that area. Amazing. I was in, uh, just a month ago, I was in Tulum, which is uh, right next to Yucatan, is in Quintana Roo, which is the other region of Mexico that's like right there on the coast uh, sticking out and uh, going toward the Atlantic. That's actually exactly the area where Cortez landed when he first arrived. Okay. And then, uh, so it's, uh, I, I have the visuals ready because I have, I still have the smell of the jungle in my nostrils. Perfect. See, I knew there was a reason I waited so long to get there to finish this podcast. Yeah. That is, per- I did see some of your um, posts on Facebook. I think it was on Facebook. Or, uh, yeah. I, it, I was looked, it looked pretty nice. Yeah. It's like That's you guys good. had a nice time. Definitely. Yeah, that was good. So, um, yeah, so what's hot there, I would guess. 
It's insanely hot. I mean, this season is uh, the good season to go, and it's still hot. Um, yeah. The in summer is brutal. In summer, even the locals are like, <laughs> "Yeah, this is heavy. You just want to go and go out in the cenotes or in the ocean to cool down because it's in it's it gets intense." All right, bet. And now, so um, this isn't wasn't a Maya area per se, right? Where you were in Mexico? No, it was. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, okay. 100% Maya. I mean, it's 100% Maya to the point that even to this day, the Maya are actually one of the biggest native ethnic groups uh, from Central or North America. And even to this day, like you go there, there's a bunch of people who still speak Maya as their first language. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of people like my friend who invited me there. He speak a few words here and there. So enough to just kind of say hi and hello to some of the locals that, I mean, he has lived there all his life, but he's not Maya, whereas a lot of the people he works with are. And okay. so, and it's interesting to hear the language being, being spoken, being, being a live language, not just being something from the past. Oh, that is interesting to know. I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Imagine there's some Maya, hist like ethnically Maya historians and stuff there that study this stuff. Right. Probably. I don't know. I don't know. Who's, uh, I mean, I read some books on Maya history, of course, but I don't know exactly who the, the, the insider view. I don't know, like in terms of like who's doing uh, the history from the inside of the community. Yeah. But I would imagine that they're definitely something. I would think so. It's funny that, that um, I mean, you know, sometimes I get all over the place, but how the, the language was, or I should say the script was not was deciphered by Russians. Mm, a couple of Russians. Good. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so the, the period that actually where this study was done in the area, it was it's called the, um, is the pre-classic period. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Be and um, they, like I say, they did this LIDAR study because they really didn't have much writing here. So we don't know everything that happened. Plus, this jungle is completely grown over. I don't know. I mean, archaeologists digging in deserts like Iraq and Egypt and stuff like that, it seems a lot easier than it would be digging through tree roots and stuff like that. Yeah, the jungle is serious. It's super dense. It's uh, like cutting a pathway through the jungle is serious stuff because it's... Uh, I mean, it rains a lot. It's mm -hmm. everything around you is green. Everything is constantly growing. Everything is so it's a it's a peculiar environment. And as you may imagine, I mean, I went in the in the off season when theoretically there are no mosquitoes. No mosquitoes is still enough to eat you alive ten times <laughs> over. It's uh, when they have them, quote unquote, is really bad. But even when they don't have them, they still have them <laughs> in large. Yeah, numbers. right. That means nothing, right? When they have us, don't have them. To them, it's like a lot to us. I'm yeah, exactly. Sure. Exactly. So it's uh, it's intense. I did this walk through this Maya town of Koba. That's mm -hmm. a little bit. I don't know, maybe an hour from Tulum or something. And um, beautiful, but smack in the middle of the jungle. And yes, I got eaten alive by mosquitoes. It was uh, it was an interesting. I did my bl my sacrificial bloodletting that my people <laughs> would have appreciated by offering through the mosquitoes. Maybe you know, since we're talking about it with the bloodletting and the mosquitoes, I wonder if that has anything to do with their bloodletting. And probably not, but I bet they did get a lot of mosquito bites. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, it makes you wonder because uh, throughout Mesoamerica, there's this, uh, and it's not just one culture or another, it's like pretty much everybody had this notion that blood is power, mm-hmm. blood is the stuff that you offer to the gods. So the whole notion of blood sacrifice is uh, very widespread. You find them across just about every other Mesoameric- Mesoamerican culture you run into. And so it's it's interesting because it makes you wonder, how does it start? I mean, how does it... Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of... I mean, eventually somebody figure out, you know, the blood of my prisoner of war is just as good as mine, so why don't we sacrifice him instead? Oh, right. Uh, a lot of it may have started more... No, you give what... Like, what is that you true that's truly yours? Is your body. So you offer your blood to the gods as an offering. And it's your blood, you know, it's not necessarily the, yeah, I capture my enemy and I'll sacrifice him. It's right. like people regularly would uh, would shed blood to offer to the gods. And then, you know, you get guys like the Mexica or better known as the Aztecs who take it to the 30th level where they sacrifice on a mass scale. And it's so it's hard to tell with the Maya how common that was or not. Mm-hmm. It's clear that just about everybody did some blood offerings but the scale or the intensity of it all it's not as clear it's funny like you know it's like a human thing this sacrifice so i mean the Mm -hmm. blood sacrifice i mean that's christianity right the blood sacrifice of jesus and then they're always were giving some sacrifices and maybe it came out of africa with us to sacrifice i mean it makes sense when you think about it because the whole idea is that uh I give to get type of idea, like Mm -hmm. initiating a cycle of reciprocity by uh, something from you. So I'm going to offer something. Now, what can I offer? Like anything, like the gods theoretically have everything. So the only thing that's truly your own is your body. So Mm -hmm. you shed that life force. You offer that. uh, And, you know, some people do it in a very mild way with a little cut and three drops. Mm -hmm. And some people go into full on uh, rip somebody's heart off kind of thing. So it's uh, that there are degrees there, but the concept of sacrifice, I mean, is universal. Even in oh, pretty much every religion has one form of sacrifice. Yeah. Another, like whether it's offering of food and incense, whether it's abstaining from certain foods or behaviors on particular sacred days, it's all the idea of um, sacrificing something in order to get this cycle going. 
Yeah, I think it's like a natural human thing of cause and effect. Yeah. You know, like exactly. we think that like, I mean, I remember being a little kid and my, you know, my grandfather was sick and I'd say, I'll do any, you know, you pray, you'll do anything. Absolutely. I'll give up anything. It's just a natural yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exciting. And you don't, like, I think so. Well, they used to cut their tongues and their penises, I think, in the Mayans, right? Yeah. So they're yeah, really they, serious about it. Uh, yeah, they would do these like little holes. So, like, for example, yeah, they would do like a little tongue piercing and run a rope through it to draw blood. And, uh, or they do this. Yeah, they, I mean, which is kind of exactly what I mean, because I was like, who is the first person who had that idea? I was said, you know what we should really do? Just drill a hole through your tongue and shed some, <laughs> you know, takes a second for, for the idea to catch on, I guess. I mean, I have to say personally, my, you know, in getting on in life and my experience with mental health issues with different people, I honestly think a lot of history was done by crazy people. Like a crazy person seems so serious. He believed whatever he was saying. A lot of people believed him. (laughs) I'm doing right now a research. I'm researching a couple of saintly figure in history. I'm researching uh, Drupa this guy from uh, Tibet and Bhutan, that area. And then I'm doing San Francesco who's from Italy, from San Francis of Assisi. And uh, and yeah, their stories, uh, you know, you read these guys and clearly there are a bunch of people who, uh, alive with them who look at them and like, these guys are nuts. <laughs> you know, the, the debate, a saint or nuts is, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's on a spectrum. There are debates <laughs> about things like that. For sure. Yeah, I definitely think it was a certain personality type that got into that, and then it just sort of went from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as you would say, in any case, mm-hmm. as we were, um, that's one of your that's one of your yep. catchphrases. I don't know yeah. if you know that, but I always consider that every time yeah. I say that. It's to always myself, uh, it's always a good segue. <laughs> like when I'm switching <laughs> things, it's like okay, enough <laughs> with that. Let's jump into guys. So, in any case. Yeah, so this study, I think, so they these people who did the study, they they hired airplanes and, and flew LIDAR over, but there was also like LIDAR mm-hmm. information and data that they were able to have. So they, the area of the study is um, 650 square miles. It's called, Nor- it's called the Mirador Calcamel Karst Basin, and it's abbreviated as MCKB. And so this study revealed that in the area that we're talking about, which is the pre-classic Maya. This is a little bit, this is actually the time of like uh, the fan of history podcasts around 600 BC to say, you know, 300 BC around there. They were found 30 of the ball courts, um, 195 cement reservoirs, which literally drained some nearby lakes dry. And then Mm -hmm. it's really cool. I think is this 110 miles of elevated walkways, which connected 417 cities, towns, and villages. So I was thinking at some point we could talk about what those things were. I thought that would be interesting to our listeners. Sure. Let's do that. Let's do it. So I'll just finish the article up. There's a couple of quotes from the article here. One of the cities in this article, this area, I should say, is uh, El Mirador, which contains the largest pyramid and probably in the world, really. It's the largest in Mayan world. And it's the area is bigger than the Great Pyramid of Giza. So it's pretty big. So anyway, a couple of quotes from the article and then we'll get into it. The the study authors say the skeleton of ancient political and economic structure as a kingdom state in the middle and late pre-classic periods has a tantalizing presence in this area. The research team was led by Richard D. Hansen from Idaho State University. 
And I actually read most of the study too. So they used like six levels. They started with El Mirador as the like the biggest level and they went down like you know levels one to six depending how big a city or area was and they say to further complicate issues the project has identified an astonishing presence of invisible house mounds with packed earthen floors post holes and pre-classic pottery but with no surface indications of architecture explained that some settlements could be larger even than the surface architecture suggests and the consistency of architectural forms and patterns, ceramics, sculptural art, and unifying causeway constructions within a specified geographical territory suggests a centralized political, social, and economic organic solidarity, solidarity among the occupants. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a real civilization, isn't it? It's not like some savages in the wilderness that are sort of cool i mean they have cities right totally not that i would mind uh because i mean i tend to like small scale cultures i tend to find them uh generally like i don't know i'm a big fan of uh, chris ryan has a book called civilized to death that kind of makes the point that like we definitely gained a lot with uh, the development of large civilizations we've also lost a lot and it's a give and take. Like usually we present human history as a as a journey from dark to the light and progress as always good. And is at best a mixed bag. But uh but yeah, no, the Maya were undoubtedly these guys built on a massive scale, they organize uh their they had states for all intents and purposes with rulers and a hierarchy and all that stuff, which is normally what the what people and knowledge has been uh, what civilizations are founded upon. Um, it's unlike what you find, let's say, with the Mexica, that were unified in one empire. The mm-hmm. Maya, for the most part, were divided in, uh, you know, each, it, it was almost more like ancient Greece, like with each right. state having the rivalry with the guys next door and that kind of thing. So they were not necessarily unified. They spent as much time fighting one another as they did fighting outsiders. Yeah, it was very much like ancient Greece, I think, right? Like yeah. city-state yeah. type of things and, um, yeah. uh, you know, alliances and that kind of stuff. Very but much. the difference is their their ancient Greece was uh, mountainous. And so that's yeah. why the towns were from different places. These places were basically just a big jungle where you yeah. said you were just there. Yeah. So they must have cleared everything to make these cities. Yeah, and also the um, the soil is not the greatest. So mm-hmm. one of the things that they would do, it would uh, they would have to do slash and burn agriculture, which is uh, a little rough on the land because they essentially have to burn down part of the forest. You use the ashes to fertilize the soil, but then you only really get a couple of years of fertility out of that soil, and then you have to cycle through another patch of land where you do the same and you let this one stay fallow for a few years until eventually the nutrients come back and you start planting there again. So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's not the easiest place where to make uh, where to make a living as a, as a particular as a farmer. Right. There must have been a lot of game, I'm sure, but as far yeah. as I I mean in this period I don't think they've cut down as many trees as they did later because that's right. well, I mean the Maya, I mean, I guess I'm talking as I'm assuming we all know, but eventually the Maya sort of go away before the Spanish aren't the ones who did them in it was right by around 900 AD they they probably overdid it. 
Yes, and uh, one of the things that happens, and it's, you know, the fall of the Maya is one of the most debated things in history, which historians all argue. It was because of drought, it was because of they fought each other, it was because, you know, there's probably multiple causes at once. It's kind of like, why did the Roman Empire fall? Well, right. you know, like many causes, it's not just a single thing. Um, in the case of the Maya, much like what happens with the Roman Empire, it's not that they disappear, it's that this super large civilization become much smaller, much more localized. So it's a fall in a sense in terms of the complexity and scale of it all. But it's not like they go away. Like as I was telling yeah. you, you can go there now and you know, there are <laughs> Maya people everywhere in the area. Right. But they just didn't I guess they changed their way of life for yeah, yeah. much I mean... smaller scale. It's funny, like you think about like Assyria falling and, you know, um, Nineveh's gone, but people could still see the city. Yeah. You know, they yeah. knew that there was these big buildings, but in there, yeah. the go- jungle just overgrew it and you wouldn't even really know it was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that um, could have a thing, you know, it's like, in other words, if you if you see all these big buildings, you think, well, they're supposed to be big buildings. Yeah. And if you don't see them, then maybe you don't. Well, and also, yeah, imagine the people who see them three generations later, where, you know, the living memory is getting fuzzy. And by that point, you know, a few generations down the road, you're like, who the hell built this stuff? Fear right. that it was your ancestors, but you're like, come on, you know, it's like, can you build this stuff now? No, I can't. Can you? No. Right. So you start thinking these were like, this was something else that did it. Our ancestors were gods or something. Who the hell could pull this off? And you know it's funny people today still do that like talking to you Graham Hancock. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's a bunch of stuff that is like yeah, once uh, it's funny how knowledge gets lost quick. Yeah. Know? Uh so when you stop I mean think about it today if today we had to do the way just about everyone in the world lived 200 years ago 95% of the population would starve within a month. Know. You know, like because nobody knows how to how to live the way people did because you don't have to anymore. So most people are not involved in food production. Most people are not farming their food. They don't know about the soil. They don't know about the water. They don't know about so it's a knowledge that unless you use it, it goes away. Same goes with many other forms of knowledge. And it's unless uh, the knowledge is relevant to the li- lifestyle within those generations, two generations later, it's pretty much all gone. Yeah, without writing, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, well, I just lost my train of thought, but I, th- I think, well, no, I got it back. I think that, um, I, I, f- I think like when you said that, you know, people wouldn't know how to grow their own food, but 95% wouldn't, right? But the 5% that would, then the p- other people, the five the part of that ninety five would come after them for the food. Right, right, right. Of course, exactly. And I think that's where civilization comes from. When like people just kind of mind in their own business and stuff, but then somebody comes from outside and like just takes it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then you say, well, I need yeah. somebody to protect me. I'm not really good at that. I need a protection rack, and it just sort of goes warlords to kings, and then you're yeah. you know sacrificing people on top of a pyramid. <laughs> Before you know it, that's where it goes. Yes. <laughs> That, so, I mean, that I guess that it's almost like civilization has to march that way in a lot of ways as it gets more populated. You know, like I say, if people keep coming and stealing your stuff, then you say, well, I need soldiers or I need, you know, a couple of tough guys. And just I think it's a it's a product of overpopulation civilization, because in an environment where you're not overpopulated, small scale hunting and gathering groups, you have a giant hunting grounds that you go through a seasonal cycle you don't have the pressure to switch because you rarely run into anyone else 
if everybody has their hunting ground, you can even have pleasant contact with the tribe next door and be done with it. Right. The problem is when you run into overpopulation, where suddenly we are competing for the same hunting grounds. Now we are killing each other. Now we have a problem. And yes. that's where things get ugly. It's really when you have too many people for a certain size environment. Yeah, I think that's definitely what it is. I mean, that's what the data shows. And it, why? Who knows? I mean, it's some of those things, maybe when people just don't know each other enough. But, yeah, you know, if you have a small city, everybody kind of knows each other when you get bigger. Well, and also, I think, is the resources, right? As long as everybody has a belly full, mm, yeah. it's so much easier to get along with your neighbors. Once uh, only one of us is going to eat tonight, suddenly your neighbor is not so nice anymore. Now right. you're like, screw you. Right. I want me right. to be the one eating, not you. And it gets right. the edge. Yes. Well, that's, we figured out civilization, so that's good. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, so the, these guys were a civilization. I mean, like you said, the soil's not good. It's mostly on like a limestone, mm-hmm. right? So they had a lot of limestone and they made this stucco, right? And they would yep. put the stucco all over everything. Like you see the pyramids, kind of like the Egyptian pyramids. They, you think they're just blocks, but they were actually covered with this stucco and painted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, today you don't see the colors. Uh, it would have, I'm sure it was amazing when when everything was painted. Yeah, what I've seen in videos, it looks like there was like a red. I guess they had like a red color and, they, you know, they were painted red. It must have been amazing. And then the trees cleared out. I mean, yeah. could you imagine being a, like a native from this area and like maybe you don't live in one of the cities and you're just living in that jungle and then you just come upon one of these cities? It had to be like, you know, like like a fantasy movie. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So they they so they built with this limestone and there was different kinds of it and it's pretty easy to work with because it's easy to cut and then they could make the stucco and stuff or that did they work with I couldn't find did they work with wood too I'd imagine they must have made yeah, the houses and stuff from wood and that's actually what most of the housing was like that what you see today you know the pyramids that's not where people live per se. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where a few, some were temples, some were actually structures where it could be a palace where people live. But again, you don't live in the in the stone structure. Usually the stone structure was a foundation for, you know, touch roof kind of wooden structure on top where you put, uh, mm-hmm. but those of course are gone because are made of perishable materials. And then right. of the population would live into huts spread in a territory around the, uh, uh, around the, the the big ceremonial centers, but what we see today, the the pyramids and everything else, those were ceremonial centers where maybe some of the elite live, but that's it. You know, the yeah. rest of the population was spread for a few miles around the ceremonial centers. So yeah, that's actually well, that's a good segue because it's they found that they that these um, so like El Mirador, for example, is the whole area is like seven point seven square kilometers so i looked up like downtown philadelphia is like no i'm sorry downtown philadelphia is 7.7 kilometers el mirador is 10 kilometers square kilometers so it's like it's center city you know with residential areas and all kind of things like that and um so yeah i think el mirador they thought could have had as many as two hundred thousand people wow well, I mean, I've seen problem. that. That's a high number. Yeah. yeah. But it, uh, I know it, around 600 BC of Babylon yeah. had like 200,000 people. So that's a big ass city. Yeah. That's humongous for sure. And it's funny what you said too about like how the society changes. They say like 
we'll talk about the roads. I guess we could talk about the roads. These roads are pretty big, right? Uh-huh. They're like, some of them are, uh, let me see, I have it written down somewhere, like 40 meters wide, you know, and they go for miles and miles and they're covered with this stucco and they were like raised up. But this, I read from one uh, scholar, he said that you notice that the roads get narrower as the Maya, because you come into the classic Maya, because that's when they were more stratified and they had more of this violence and stuff. So right. maybe then that's why they were narrower, because when people, this is what he said, when people live in a more collective society, they spend all their money on for everybody. You know, it's, when you people have their own money, they'll, the roads are smaller and those guys' houses are bigger. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> you know? But yeah, these roads, they called them Sacbe. Did you see any of those when you were in Mexico? No, no, I haven't seen those. I, I, they say they're causeways and they could be like like up to like three meters off the ground. But I believe that they're like packed limestone. Yeah. And then they had these little parapets on the sides and then, you know, 40 meters wide. That's wild. That's, it's crazy, yeah. but they had no wheel, right? No, nope, no wheel. It's funny. They had wheels in toys. Yeah. They understood the idea of the wheel, but I think part of the wheel, the part of the problem is that, yeah, you need uh, a gigantic road system for the wheel to work well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as much as they did build the road system in the jungle, you could only build so much. So I right. think like it wasn't really that efficient for them to build uh, wheeled vehicles because because uh, you wouldn't have the roads for them. Yeah, that's true. And the, the hills, I mean, this area was quite ro- roaded, but I, I think it's also... um. I mean, not having like iron tools to make axles and stuff like that yeah. was probably an issue. Yep, for sure, for sure. You know, but so they still had these. I mean, that this study they found 110 miles of these roads. But like I say, this is the pre-classic. By the classic period in a different area, there was def- there was more roads. But I think the roads were um a lot ceremonial. Mm-hmm. They say it's yeah. so terrible. We just don't know everything about. I mean, there's that's the problem with a lot of Maya history that you're talking about, you know, the heyday of the Maya ended uh, over a thousand years ago. So mm-hmm. inevitably, you know, the Spaniards did a pretty thorough job of burning down every Maya book there was, save for a couple that somehow miraculously survived. So it's like if somebody took everything that was ever written in Western culture prior to a thousand years ago and just burned it all down. The amount of knowledge lost is unreal. And so at that point, all that we are relying on is some oral history, which of course over a thousand years, not the best after a thousand years, and archaeology. So inevitably the picture we get of Maya life is highly, highly incomplete. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, unfortunately. But, I mean, we do know that it was, we're not talking about, you know, like some savages in the woods that sort of, like, had a kind of a civilization. This is a full-blown civilization. And. Like I said, from you know, one other thing, like from this area, I mean, is the the classic Maya was more south in the highlands in this particular area, mm-hmm. um, but they we still see all the stuff from the classic Mayans, like you say, like the architecture and the roads. But how about the ball courts too? I guess we could kind oh, yeah. of wrap it up with them. I mean, wasn't the game like? I, how do you play it? I mean, you use your hips, I guess, and yeah, that kind of thing. So, which is really hard because the hoop is way up high uh, on the walls and uh, it's slanted yeah. sideways. You know, compared to a basketball, that's like the hoop is facing the sky. Here is slanted sideways, so you can score kind of left to right or right to left. But yeah, no hands. Um, it's that certainly hips. I believe elbows as well. Yeah, sure. There's debate whether they could use feet or not, but definitely no hands. And uh, so, yeah, really hard game. Um, Scoring was very difficult. And also there's all sort of debates about, uh, you know, you hear all these stories. Oh, the losers got sacrificed or no, no, it was the winners who got sacrificed because it was an honor. I sort of doubt that every game ended in sacrifice because you would <laughs> yeah. run out of players really fast if that's how you Yeah, play. I would think. But I... So my guess is that that story, if it's true, is that in some particular occasion, there were games where the bet was the sacrifice. And again, I don't know whether it's the winner or losers, depending on what people believe, because, uh, you know, for us, you would be the losers, right? It's like you don't yeah. want to be sacrificed so but you know in a culture where you are routinely bloodletting in some cases maybe people offer themselves to be sacrificed so it was an honor so that's another theory that some people have that it was the winners who got sacrificed very hard to tell very 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 hard to tell what was up but yeah the bowl game is one of the, it's another much like blood sacrifice is another one of the scene that was cross-cultural in mesoamerica was it wasn't just a maya thing a bunch of different uh, people throughout the centuries practice that form of ball game. Yeah, I just, I that's fine, and that's the only place really. I mean, you just and the the northern Indians didn't have that, right? And the no. South America doesn't have a ball game either. Yeah, just yeah, in that yeah. area, and it was a religious thing. I, I guess too, it kind of because yeah, doesn't their religion their their foundation story has a ball? I think they have to play ball. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like that's the problem also with uh, archaeology is that usually anytime we don't know something for sure, you're like, clearly it was religious because it's the way to <laughs> justify any weird right. behavior. Who knows? Nah, probably there was an element in some cases, but, you know, maybe in a bunch of cases it was just people having fun playing ball. Who knows? Hard I know. Talk. It's the same if they came to back, you know, 2,000 years from us and we wouldn't know, you know, like yeah. the football, try to explain it. Yeah, what was exactly. it about? People praying? Exactly. Was it a religious thing? Was it? Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. You know, was yeah. it right? It's a ritual showing that they don't. These people don't go to war anymore. Now they go to right. war. But, but they did use them sort of like. Cause I know you have a theory, but you would like it if just the leaders would get together and fight each other. Right. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they, they kind of okay. use this. For, didn't they kind of use this sort of? I like, mean, that's settle that, disputes. 
that's in some cases for sure, but also the Maya were, you know, there was a, for a while, they had this old theory, archaeologists, that the Maya were this very peaceful society. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's not the case. Mm-mm. Ton of warfare. And again, a ton of warfare, I'm sure it varies, you know, through centuries of Maya history. It's not that they were fighting all the time. It's like some periods were much harsher than others. You know, the same people who are semi-peaceful at one point in time, 200 years later, they are all slaughtering each other. You know, it it varies depending on a bunch of factors. People are not peaceful or bellicose just by nature. A lot of it has to do with the specific conditions they are facing, which change over time. A hundred percent. And just like you said, with the Greek, like they're like the Greeks. I mean, the Greeks are supposed to be this the pinnacle of ancient civilization. They are constantly killing each other. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. attest from playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yes. <laughs> I mean, as, they're uh, slaughtering each other every day. <laughs> yes. As Ubisoft say, history is our playground. Yes. <laughs> I do recommend that to fan of history listeners, though, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um. But they also, I guess I would just close up with the, in the Maya. With, I mean, they also did fight sort of that way, though, too. Or didn't they sort of not like have, you know, they didn't burn each other's cities down, especially in this period where we're covering. Right. Maybe earlier on. I mean, there are moments where the competition gets pretty fierce, like a lot of Maya art, some of the more murals and stuff you see images of you know defeated prisoners being sacrificed or sold into slavery or all of that so you know it could get pretty harsh it wasn't just a ritualized warfare the prisoners though they're still like soldiers right i mean i just well when you when you study the the aztecs and the machico mm-hmm. did they weren't yeah. they kind of surprised by the brutality of the spanish how they were so total warlike yeah, I mean, they were brutal too, but the way they went about it was a little different. You know, they are, nobody builds an empire by being a nice guy. You know, you build an yeah. empire by knocking people on the head. And uh, uh, But the specifics, like the Aztecs uh, valued bravery a ton. So there were cases where they have an advantage on the Spaniards. They could possibly wipe them out and they choose not to pursue the advantage because they want to do the brave battle. Mm. And, course that's a damn thing to do from a point of view of effectiveness um so you know or maybe you are fighting by in that particular battle you're aiming at capturing people so you can offer them to the god and sacrifice him which of course is much harder than somebody who's just trying to kill you it's wasting oh yeah so it's not so much good, bad, or like aggressive or not. Is that what they value culturally influences the way they fight? Hmm. Interesting. And every generation, like I said, is different. It could be, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, changes over time. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think we covered, I mean, we didn't cover the Maya Empire. Well, it wasn't an empire, the Maya sure. civilization. But I mean, as far as this, um, I think you helped me figure out this. So it's LIDAR study. Uh, the Yucatan, like I said, this oh. is the pre-classic. So this was a full-blown civilization. Um, but they may not have had writing in the beginning of this period, but by we know by 300 BC, they definitely had Maya writing. So, I mean, like I said, they have hundreds and hundreds of, of structures, 417 cities, towns, and villages. And I, I, I'm going to um, put in the show notes. Are you going to publish this episode somewhere? Sure. I can yeah, so I'll have some show notes that'll with the study, with the LIDAR study, with um, you know, it's just some other I always like to put a couple of links. Your your podcast descriptions are always very long and, and yeah. very helpful. <laughs> I just I do put a couple of links in there just oh. so people could believe that what I'm talking about. Perfect. So I'll definitely include those. Um I would say um 
again, it's History on Fire is the name of your podcast. Oh, you have another podcast too. Yeah, the Drunken Taoist. The Drunken Taoist. Yeah, yeah. And but... from your talk of Taoism all the time, I've started looking into it, and I've become somewhat of a Taoist myself. Yeah, my yeah. Taoism is a great, uh, great philosophy. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I talk about it on the podcast, and we do China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great philosophy for sure. For sure. Okay. So yeah, check check out his podcast and um, check out our Facebook page and give us some money on Patreon if you so want to. Or you could give it to Danelli too. <laughs> that's always sweet. Well, yeah. that's awesome, man. I'm glad we got to do this. Yeah, I am too. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's a dream come true. One of my favorite podcasters do a podcast with me. Bernie out. Cheers. Sweet.